Welcome to the Live Like Jesus podcast. This is episode seven. I'm your host, Lynn Wilson. Today, we are talking about faith in the C-suite. I am so excited about this episode for several reasons. Uh, One is that this was really kind of a core question when we began this season. We began talking about what it looks like for professionals who have Christian faith but struggle to understand how to live it out outside of Sunday church, you know, Monday through Friday at the office. Uh, there seems to be a disconnect. I've heard this from many friends in professional life. You know, how do we, how do we live faith when it seems that faith has become privatized? Uh, so that's one of our topics today. Another reason I'm so excited about this episode is our guest is a good friend of mine who's also my brother-in-law, Mike Fast. Mike is the vice president of baseball development for the Atlanta Braves organization. And we're going to hear from Mike about his own journey and how he got into baseball and how faith uh, became a part of that. And then how he has grown as a leader and some principles and things that he employs now today in his day-to-day life that are informed by his faith. So, Mike, come on on. Let's let's get you on. Join the show here. Let's start the conversation. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Lynn. Yeah, glad to be on. It is great to talk with you about this. Uh, I want to dive into the first piece of that thing I introduced uh, a second ago. Uh, I told your story in one of my books called Think Like a Five-Year-Old back uh, in 2015. Your story has taken several interesting turns since then, but... uh, Kind of look back and walk our listeners through uh, what was happening in your life in the mid uh, 2000s and the transition you made into baseball and then how God's leading, God's presence was a part of that for you through that process. Sure. Yeah, I was, um, well, I guess for, for 17 years after college, I was working in the semiconductor industry, com- computer chips, um, as an engineer. And that's what I trained uh, trained for in college, um, and had always been a baseball fan, and had kind of been in fantasy leagues on the side, and um, you know, dabbling in baseball stats, uh, but had not known that I could have a career in that. Um, and uh, I started at the encouragement of my wife, started writing some articles for some online blogs and some things like that, and that sort of gathered steam and um, and turned into to a side more, I guess, more than a hobby and was kind of a side activity for me that brought in a little bit of extra income, but nothing to, to write home about. Um, but then I got laid off from my engineering job and had to decide, did I want to go try to find another engineering job or did I, I'd, I had just been interviewing um, actually with a baseball team that was interested in one of my the articles that I published and they said, Oh, this is interesting. Let's talk to this guy. Um, that didn't end up going anywhere, but, uh, it it was sort of a a critical moment for me deciding, did I want to go into baseball or not? Um, and so, so yeah, the, the, uh, the God part, I mean, I think God was involved in all of that, but sort of the way it, it smacked me upside the face was that I'd, I'd gone to this, to the interview, with this baseball team while I still had my engineering job. And I thought, Oh, you know, can I leave the security of this job? We had, uh, Lori and I had four kids and it's like, I don't know if I want to turn down a, a guaranteed income and sort of go out and try to start a new career. Um, so we were, we were praying about that and, and wondering whether I'd get a job offer from the baseball team. And, and that wasn't coming, but Lori and I were praying like, 
you know, God, show us what we should do. And and then like literally within a couple of days, I got laid off from my engineering job. It's like, OK, God, that wasn't the answer I was looking for. Um, I was hoping for something a little more gentle, but that was kind of like, OK, I, I should take this seriously. Yeah, sometimes uh, prayers are dangerous, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, you were, you were seeking there and God said, oh, OK, we'll forget that job. Yeah. Yeah. And then that led to uh, development quickly. You moved from there into your uh, your new life in, in Major League Baseball after that. Yeah, I, I kind of tracked down all the contacts I had in baseball and said, would you, you know, would you talk to me? Would Do you have a job? And and it took a few months, but I found a job the, with the Houston Astros and uh, became an analyst there. And it was that was it was interesting. That was the, the team had new ownership and new leadership. And, and I got to sort of come in on the ground floor and be part of, of building sort of a, a new way of looking at baseball with that team. So, um, hey, so give us some context there. That was 2010, 2011. That was 2012, 2012. Yeah. Okay. And at the time the Astros were not in too good a shape. Right. Right. They were losing. Yeah. Losing 100 games three years in a row. So pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. And and analytics was still kind of new at the time. Yeah. The Moneyball movie had come out in I think maybe 2003, somewhere in there, like a decade or so before. So there had been some adoption of that. Um, but I think the teams that were were data focused were still probably in the minority at that point. Yes. See, in my, you know, just kind of in the family gatherings and conversations we've had over the years, from a faith perspective, my understanding of what you did, the whole thing was, I mean, at a very basic level, faith is trust. We, we, we put a lot of language on faith in the church, and we, we define it, we put theology around it. But at a very basic level, it's just trust. It's just trusting that God has uh, got our best interests at heart. And and that was that was your life. You were living that. You were stepping out, kind of without a gangplank, right? You were like, "Let's don't I don't have a plan B. I'm pursuing this, and we're going to see what happens." Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely helped that that my wife was on board with that. Lori was on board with with that like approach too. That it's like, well, we. I mean, I think we've always said since we've been married that we think God will take care of us, and that. I think that's been that's been true, and there've been time lean times, and there've been times of plenty, and I, I just don't. I, I have seen colleagues who sort of like grasp for money and security, and mm. I just don't see, like in the long run. I don't see that working out. You can't. You can't. No, I mean everybody knows in our economy, no job is secure, and you can think you've set yourself up with whatever all the right structure to to keep your job safe. And it, it that, that there's no such thing as a safe job. And mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of wish that were different. I know like when we think back to, I mean, I don't know about our fathers, but maybe the generation before that there was more like sort of corporate safety and security and a job for life. Um, yeah, but that doesn't exist in our world. Yeah. That's a good word. There's an illusion of safety that you have when, when you're trying to pursue things of the world, isn't there? It's good. Yeah. So you you entered, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'd rather hear you describe it. But you, you talked to me before the show about your own development as a leader. So when you entered the Astros organization, you were really a specialist. Is that an accurate thing to say at that point? 
yeah, I was, yeah, I was building computer models and, um, you know, working with different people in the organization to apply those. Um, yeah. And then from there, I, I worked sort of in that role for, I guess, about three years and then got promoted to director leading the, the research and development group um, for the Astros, which I think at the time was about four people. So it wasn't a huge group. Um, and then over the next three, four years, grew that into a group of eight. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, then left the Astros and went, now I work remotely for the Braves, um, at a little bit more of, a, a little bit more of an executive level where I'm kind of, I'm doing more guiding of the organization than I am like sort of day to day on the ground work. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a huge transition in a decade to come into a new sector, a new field and, and to have a job then to move up through manager, uh, to kind of look, you know, mid-management leader to now VP leader, that has been, just from my perspective, kind of a rocket ship trajectory in terms of a career. And you've had to kind of redefine your own understanding of your job at every level. Yeah, I've had one of the guys that's worked for me almost since the beginning, since 2013, has he's been a big help to me. But one of the things he told me fairly early on was he gave me this story from, I don't even know where now where it came from but some sort of business leadership book of uh, the story about giving away your legos that uh the the woman who wrote this story talked about like the the the, the real way to be a leader you can't hold on to you know whatever you're building with legos and you're building some like really cool toy or structure or whatever and then if you want to be a leader you have to give those legos away and let somebody else either add on to your structure or even tear it down and make something new with those Legos. Uh, and that can be really hard because you invested your time and your creativity in that. And, but if you're going to be a leader, you have to give that away and move on and take on some other challenge uh, that, you know, whatever you, and I think it's that process, which is mm -hmm. what's like helped me move up in the ranks, if you will. Uh, but it's, I mean, it reminds me of the story where Jesus tells the parable of the, you know, the, the seed, you sow the seed and the seed falls into the ground and dies yeah. and then it bears fruit. Um, and it really does feel like death to give away mm. this thing that I've invested in. I've my like sort of feeling of value in this organization was in this thing. And now I'm actually like letting go of that and letting someone else I've seen other people not do that and over time it just that thing if you try to hold on to it 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 doesn't stay fresh and it's it starts rotting and mm. you and then you find yourself defending it and you're not growing so that's wow. i mean that's a hard thing to do but i don't really know any other way to to do it and to keep growing and living that's beautifully said, Mike. I love it. And boy, talk about applying Christian faith in daily decision-making, uh, giving away to get, right? I mean, that's, that's as Jesus yeah. as it gets. Uh, and it's counterintuitive, right? I mean, to, to, to your point and what you've been saying, you know, there's points in your own career when you felt like you were putting your own safety at risk by giving something away in order to ultimately be in a better place for you and for the organization and for the people that you're giving it to. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't. think that's that's true that uh, you you mentioned the people like there's people that are depending on you. I think that's true like whether you're in the individual contributor role or if you're in a leadership role, there's people that depend on you and if you 
if you try to hold on to that to that thing that comp that feeling of competency in the long run you're not really serving them either hmm. how does that work uh specifically so you're in the in the data realm then is this a fast moving uh like the practices you developed 10 years ago are those still in play today or has there been new thinking new development what is that like um yeah it's definitely fast moving i it's it's crazy to me. I mean, one of the things we did with the Astros in maybe 2016 was we introduced uh, high-speed video cameras to track the players on the field as they play the game, whether hitters, pitchers, fielders. Uh, and at that time, that was pretty new. Uh, we worked with a, a camera supplier who started this business as a Kickstarter, and he said, oh, like most of my my customers are these like uh, industrial companies and they'll order one or two cameras and they'll, they'll, hmm. you know, whatever they're looking at some industrial process or maybe science scientists. And, and then here we are coming in as a baseball team, ordering 50 cameras and putting them in all their stadiums. <laughs> um, so he was kind of blown away that by that, but now, so that was in 2016, that was like a brand new thing. We were working with a guy who's, who was starting with a Kickstarter. And now that's like every, every team in baseball is doing that six years later. Wow. Do you, do you see any relationship in, in your career between that kind of innovative thinking and your faith and, or just kind of what drives you and kind of some of your personal convictions? Um, I mean, I, yes, I think so. I don't know that I think about it that way a lot. Um, because that's innovative stuff, Mike, and I, you've been innovating over and over again. I do think that well, one of the things that I think maybe is more a personality thing for me is just I, I want to understand the connections between things, why why they are the way they are, and how they all interact. And I think, I mean, that's I, I think at the root of that is something that relates to. I mean, think think God has made us all like to be connected as people, but also in in the creation that there's processes where, you know, we're, we're taking care of creation. We're, we're, um, sort of summoning good things out of creation as mm. we build new things. So I, mm. in some ways, I think it's a, um, a role of discovery yeah. more than like, so, I mean, sometimes it's creation, I guess, but a lot of times it feels more like discovery, but I'm discovering something that was always there and, and maybe other people knew about it. I don't know, but I mean, that's like Isaac Newton, I think said, I, if I've seen more, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. Like I, right. I, I, I try to like pull together what I see other people doing. And I think that's, I mean, I don't know. I feel a little bit like Madeline Lingle. Like she said, she doesn't want to be labeled a Christian author because she's just, she's an author and right. she wants, if she's a good author, then that, that is Christian. Oh, um, I'm that's awesome. I'm so glad you said that. There, there's such a, um, and to me, it's marketplace dynamics. I mean, as a, as a publisher of books that are Christian, I have to deal with this all the time. Am I publishing Christian books or books that have Christianity in them that talk about Christianity, right? I mean, that's a kind yeah. of a market distinction, but sometimes it's limiting from a creative standpoint. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there are definitely times when you know, my, my thinking will be stuck and I'm trying to like work through a problem and it's like, ah, oh, I don't, I, I don't know where to go here. And, 
I will pray about like, God, give me insight, but I don't know. I don't feel like that's a magic. Hmm. It's not a magic thing where the next day, all of a sudden I have some insight. That's just sort of the way I approach life in general. Hmm. So that's good. That's, that's super helpful. Actually. I think clarifying that is good because there may be an understanding that, that Christianity is some form of magic that, you know, there's like a transactional nature to prayer, right? That if I'm stuck, I pray and I should have a, and of course, if you have that kind of attitude, you're going to be sorely disappointed most of the time. Uh, yeah. But what you're saying is, is different. What you're saying I hear is, is the idea that this is a, a way of life. It's a worldview. It's something that's deeply embedded in you. So it comes out in all your daily activities. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, and I think God wants, one of the things that I've, I've really enjoyed in the trajectory of my career in baseball or whatever is coming, starting at a point of analyzing the game and whatever, like box scores are cool or whatever. And there's, there's all sorts of data and baseball's full of data to coming to the point of seeing uh, the players and the coaches as people and seeing mm. they have a career where if, you know, if some, if they, if they can't figure out how to get better or how to, whatever the the hitter is the pitchers always get me out with the curveball i can't see the curveball or the the pitcher can't throw strikes or whatever they their careers are over and so being able to sort of unlock things for the players and similarly the coaches when it's like oh like this play this pitcher can't throw strikes and i don't know how to help him and so me being able to give them data that helps them uh, is like that gets me gets me fired up Oh, and I think yeah, that's great. Uh, like that, it's when, when I am doing that, like when I am doing my job sort of as a servant and as a sort of someone who's like helping the organization help each other, I think I'm in a much better place than when I'm trying to, to like sort of create, create value or make, make myself valuable, make myself look competent. Because um, there definitely is that, like when you're trying to innovate and then you can't, which there will always be times when you can't, Right. then you feel like, oh man, like maybe I'm not as good at this as I thought I was. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe people are going to see that I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, imposter <laughs> syndrome sits in or something. Yeah, and and so, I mean, I think one of one of the roles of prayer is to talk to God and be sort of reminded about why I'm doing this in the first place and why he has me here. Like, it's not, I mean, it is, he's taken care of me and my family. And like, that's been, it's been beyond my imagination, but really I think it's to, to help people and mm. to build relationships and to sort of help people unlock their potential. And, um, so, so sometimes it's, Sometimes prayer is a way that I sort of step back and get reminded of that as opposed to worrying about I didn't like when I'm stuck, it's like, oh, I'm rather than focusing on my own competence or my own value, my own worth. Yeah, yeah, your shift there. And, you know, I see this and I've heard this for years in, in leadership literature and language. I, I've I've kind of experienced it my own self over the years, and what I hear you saying is the same thing, that when you start and you're a young guy, you're, you're problem-solving, young, 
young guy or gal, and, and you kind of focus on the specific issue, but ultimately you get to a place where you realize it's, it's people. It's, uh, you know, there's behind every problem is a person, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and when you solve our problems, you're really making people's lives better. And that completely changes your perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, they, I mean, I think a lot of times it, it helps, helps them just to know someone cares and is trying to help them. Even, yeah. even if you don't even have the answer for them. Right. Yeah. Talk a bit about, so in our, in our pre-conversation to this interview, you talking about your growth as a manager or leader of people within the organization. Uh, so, you know, kind of th things you've learned and how faith kind of applies to that. One of the things that you s said that really struck me was you're talking about when it comes to raises and compensation time and you're, and this goes back to our, here, our conversation about people is really understanding each person's unique context and their life story and where they're going and, and kind of seeing them as, as people. Uh, how, how has that grown for you as a leader? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't know if this is where you're going with that, but one of the things you talked about being a leader of people, and one of the things that's been neat over time as I've worked with some of the people over a period of years is to see them grow and to feel like I had a part in that, and particularly people where I mean, one of the guys I work with, like I would say when he started working with me, people would have said like, oh, he's abrasive, he's socially awkward, et cetera. And to the point today where I feel like he's a leader mm. and has learned, I mean, he's still a little bit of a nerd and whatever. And that's kind of in, in the data analysis business. That's not, that's, that can be a plus, but, but he's learned, he has learned how to like care for people and think about, oh, if. If I approach the situation this way instead of this way, that that might like get a better response and that might help them feel more engaged with the problem. And, um, so it's just been really neat. And, and I've had people along the way say about different people that I've employed, like, oh, here's they have this weakness, like they're just never going to hmm. whatever. And, and to see people grow sort of beyond that, not. And I don't know, I don't feel like I've always done that well, but when I have done it well, it's been really rewarding to see that. Mm. that that's, again, to me, a worldview question that you don't see people as fixed, but you see people as, as sacred creatures that were all on the same journey together, trying to grow together. Yeah, and I think, I mean, so many people, you get the, the work world can be very, like, dog-eat-dog, -dog, and you get just lambasted almost for you don't do this well you don't do this well you don't do this well and it's like oh like hey <laughs> am i any good at all and then to give someone a little bit of space i mean yes like you have boundaries but i i don't know i actually like having boundaries is something i feel like i'm still learning to do better but you try to have some boundaries but give people some freedom to like freedom to fail freedom to sort of admit that they're not good at X or Y or Z. And, um, mm. and then I, I think most people will flourish. Like if particularly, I mean, you don't want to put somebody in completely the wrong role, but if they're in a role where their skills are suited and they just have weaknesses that are, they might seem like they're debilitating, but yeah, I, I think like uh, being a little patient, being a little, well, just like believing in them. I mean, I think that's like over my lifetime, I'm 49 now, almost 50. Like I've seen 
God be very patient with me and things that I thought I was no good. I mean, if you'd asked me when I was 20, if I'd be a leader of people, I would have said, no way. Like, Mm. I'm not good at that. I'm not good with people. I'm, um, Mm. I'm shy and I'm, I don't, I don't speak well and all of that. And it's like, well, no, I've sort of learned how I can be a leader of people. It might not be how someone else does it, but, um, that's good. But that's taken like that's taken God like sort of leading me through a lot of stuff over decades. So I mentioned last night to you that I had read an article back in the summer, or I'm not sure exactly when, a few months ago, that was actually one of the pieces that led to this season. It told the story of an engineer that worked at Google, and he uh, quit or was fired, depending on who you talk to. Uh, but the 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 issue was that he thought the AI technology that he was a part of had become sentient or had become kind of conscious, according to what this New York Times article here says. And he was concerned he had gone too far, and so uh, he parted ways with Google. And uh, what was so interesting to me, though, was that Google's response said that he was paid to be an engineer, not an ethicist. And I thought, <laughs> I, I read that, and I thought, wait a minute aren't we all supposed to be ethicists? I mean, how do you separate one from the other? I mean, ethics is a part of what we do in our daily life, isn't it? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, doing your work with integrity and honesty, that's huge. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, I think everybody, it would, if you're a customer of Google, which I don't know, Google's customer, really, who are their customers, but um, if you're a customer of a company, I think you want that company's employees to be thinking about ethics and in their relationship with you or in their production of whatever they're making. And yeah, yeah, it's, um, I would think baseball is no different than any and church is the same way. You know, I've been working in church my whole life, but there, there are ways in which you can operate with low ethics and there's ways you can operate with, with high ethics. And in the end, high ethics is better. I've, I mean, I have definitely seen in baseball and Lori and I sometimes say that our, my career in baseball has been a good, like sort of show and tell for our kids on, Mm. on ethics. You've seen people who've done things sort of out of greed, out of fear, whatever, and, and made bad choices in how they treated other people, how they manipulated people. And it worked for a while and then it didn't. And then when it's sort of exposed what they were like, it's like, oh, like, and I, I even find some of that dynamic a little interesting because then like all of a sudden the narrative shifts and they were, they were brilliant as long as the team was winning and so forth. And now they're exposed as someone who did something wrong. And now they're, you know, whatever, called all sorts of bad names and they're what an awful person. And it's like the the reality is somewhere in between of (laughs) these people are good and bad and, Right. Um, and then they made bad choices and they sort of listened to the, I think, listened to, um, you know, that, the voice of fear of like, I'm, I'm not right. measuring up or I need to like sort of grasp on to what I have because people take it away from me. And yeah. I, yeah. I, I love that, Mike, you know, it's in talking about being a show and tell for your kids, uh, we have been trying to tell our kids as they move into work life, you know, late teenager years, uh, we've had multiple conversations with them about this idea that the people you work with, again, getting back to people, is a lot more important 
And at their level, you know, what they're looking for is the highest per hour rate they can get. You know, so if they're making eight dollars an hour here, which is not what they're doing, but you know, if someone else comes along and says nine, they're like, oh, let's jump on that. And we're saying, hold on, like the organization you're a part of and the people you're working with is in the end a lot more important than yeah. what are those kind of surface, you know, kind of decision variables that you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Yeah. That, oh, that's that's good. definitely true in the work world. Yeah. And and I saw that in you when you were looking into the Braves and um you know what I saw was somebody who was really interested in finding an organization with integrity. Yeah, and it's made it's made a huge difference in my own like peace of mind and mental state, but um yeah, and then I try to create that for the people that work for me. I I've, I've noticed I mean, even just a simple compliment to somebody that I work with or someone who works for me, it goes a long way. People don't get a lot of encouragement and um, yeah, I mean, it can be small things like that. Yeah, that is great. I, I love your story, Mike. It's an ongoing story. Uh, you've, you've actually reignited my interest in baseball. I, I loved it when I was a kid, I quit watching it and it's much more fun to know you're involved. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Lynn. <laughs> Thanks, thanks for showing up today and, and all the work that you're doing there for the Braves organization. Yeah, appreciate it. It's been fun. All right. We've got a few things here coming up for Invite Press. We want to talk about uh, a couple of launches which are imminent. Uh, the, the first is uh, the uh, – I almost said the Braves again there. The uh, Come Alive Proverbs book. This is our third Come Alive volume from Talbot Davis. The launch is imminent. It was supposed to actually be yesterday, but we had a little glitch on Amazon, which we're working out. So actually, if you go to inviteresources.com, it's still in pre-order status uh, just for a few more days until Amazon, um, we can get that fixed. You can actually order this book 40% off. So you can go in there and get that. Uh, this, again, is an ongoing series that we're doing with Talbot, one new book every quarter, which is Talbot's just got this masterful way of bringing kind of a seminary-level perspective with a very friendly, easy-to-understand voice uh, and the study of Scripture. So I really think you'll like these Come Alive books if you've not begun to read them. Also in December, we have two launches. First is Telos. This is a book I have co-written with Leonard Sweet. And I, I tell you, this, I was talking to Lynn the other day in an email. The thesis of this book has blown my mind. As a writer, when you write, you discover. And my own understanding of what the end means in Scripture uh, has affected everything. And now when I read Scripture, I see this all over the place. This, this word telos is one that Jesus uses hundreds of times in the New Testament, and we have sorely understood, uh, misunderstood what it means. So... Very important book from my perspective, but of course I am biased. And another December launch is called The Journal, and this is a look at uh, what it was like for a woman to walk with Jesus and his entourage towards Jerusalem and toward the cross. Uh, it comes with a study guide in the back, so you can do it. You're personal. You can do it with your small group. Uh, perfect for the Lenten season coming up this February. And tomorrow morning, tune in to Invite Resources on our social accounts or come to our site because we're going to pre-order launch our next book by Pastor George Acevedo, who was on earlier this season, a few episodes ago, talking about Hurricane Ian and his book, Everybody Needs Some Cave Time. 
uh, pre-order launches tomorrow, which we're very excited about. We continue to launch new releases every 14 days. So many awesome conversations happening. So much new stuff coming down the road. We're excited that you are with us on this podcast. We will take next week off for Thanksgiving. And then in two weeks, we will come back with Faith in the Classroom. And until then, till next time, live like Jesus. Thank you.